welcome to The Truth in This Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. Thanks for listening and do share and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Today, I'm in conversation with the conductor and music director of the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra, the first African-American and the youngest to lead the BSO. Please welcome Jonathan Hayward. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you for popping on, making the time. And um, I want to start off by asking you to share to share your story. I mean, it's it's an interesting one. I, I feel like I'm an old person right now. It's like youngest. I was like, what am I doing with my life? So if you would, could you could you share your story? And at what point did you understand you wanted to be a professional musician? It's uh, a good question. So um, I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, and I come from a family that's not kind of no classical musicians they're all lovers of music but um my dad's side of the family you know my dad in general loved jazz and my mom kind of grew up you know grew up on rock basically so there was certainly no classical music in the house but because i stumbled upon um a music program in my elementary school actually that's really where the beginnings of all of it um i started in a chorus uh, which was short-lived after a, a solo opportunity went very badly. And then uh, my mom kind of very kindly suggested that I go to the string department. And so I that's where I picked up the cello. Um, and it's interesting with the cello because like a lot of moments in my career and to date, it was all very random. Um, I was actually supposed to pick up the violin, um, but we came to the day of picking up our instruments and the and was out the door for the violins and no one was in the cello line. So I just waltzed over to the cello line and decided to pick up a much bigger instrument to my mother's surprise. <laughs> and uh, and that kind of was the beginning of uh, a lot of things. Uh, I then auditioned for a really amazing school called the Charleston County School of the Arts in South Carolina, in Charleston, South Carolina. And I was waitlisted, actually. I didn't get in immediately because um, at that point I had only been playing for one year. And by this time, kids had been playing at least for three or four years. Yeah. So I was really, really behind. You know, I, I really, you know, hardly, you know, really beginning. But um, but um, again, another moment of, of luck. Uh, one month right before school started, I got accepted. Um, and uh, And that was really such formative seven years you know middle school and high school um to be there um and that's where i stumbled upon conducting um at the at a in the eighth grade uh, uh we had a um teacher who was ill our string teacher was ill and she couldn't conduct so we had a substitute teacher who wasn't musically inclined at all but um we need to get through this rehearsal because it's very important we had a concert the next day i think and um so he did what I guess it's very obvious to do is put names in a hat, <laughs> shuffle it around and pick a name to see who's going to conduct the orchestra. And I was one of the three, I think, uh, who got picked. And I was terrified. I didn't like being in front of people. I was shy. I, did, I certainly didn't want to have to conduct in front of my peers. Um, but what was ex amazing is that conductors read from this book kind of thing called The Score. Yeah. And The Score has everybody's parts in it you know every whatever everyone's playing on the stage is is in this in this in this piece of paper and for me what was amazing about this and still is today is to be able to look at it like a puzzle piece and see everything go together and so the magic of being able to see how many pieces become one voice yeah is something that i would that really fascinated me um 
at that age. And that was the moment that I realized I wanted to become a conductor. That oh, was wow. it. Wow. So eighth grade, really. Wow. Wow. I mean, much in a in a very kind of low rent sort of way, I think I understood that I like like talking with people and having them share their conversations, probably probably ninth grade. And mm. I was kind of that jerk walking around. I was really into wrestling at the time. So I would speak like I was the rock in the third person. It was it was not great. Um, and very embarrassing, <laughs> actually. But uh, I would carry around this like uh, pocket recorder and I would ask people to talk about what's what was ninth grade like? What was your first year mm. in high school? like and in in a proto sense like you hear about proto punk and these different genres mm. this was mm. me proto podcasting i think yeah 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 isn't it funny around that time of of everyone's life you kind of find yourself what your interests are you know it's always around that time but um yeah no that's great yeah, because when you're able to get kind of like someone around, like you, you touched on like your mom earlier, it's like, yeah, maybe you should go in kind of that direction or what have you. It, it, it was kind of that. Like, I remember people like, all right, you're asking me a lot of questions. So it's like, yeah, I enjoy questions. Like, you you got to be yeah. curious, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. So you're the first musical music director of color in the 106 year of the um, history of the BSO. What was about the BSO that, that resonated with you? Cause, cause obviously I, I, I'm hearing the, the English accent there. You have uh, <laughs> extensive European uh, like background, traveled the world and all of that great stuff um, doing music. So what are you bringing the arts community here in Baltimore and what resonated with you about the BSO specifically? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, firstly, yeah, don't let the accent fool you. I was certainly I was born in Charleston, South Carolina, and I was ra- I was born in Augusta, Georgia, actually, and raised in Charleston, South Carolina. But um, but I've been very, very fortunate to be able to start my career in Europe, actually. And and Europe was always like it was always a interest. I knew I had to get here. I knew like it was a big deal for me to make sure. Because, uh, you know, it's kind of the birthplace of classical music and there's there's, there's a different culture around it that I really was interested in. And what I hope, I mean, there's many reasons why I I said yes to Baltimore and Baltimore Symphony. I mean, the first and foremost, I will never forget the first rehearsal that the orchestra musicians and I had. Um, You know, I often talk, when people ask me what conducting is, I often talk about the idea that it's yes, you have to be, you know, you have to know music and you have to be talented enough to be able to show what you want and whatnot. But actually a lot of it is psychology. <laughs> and and the chemistry that you have with the musicians um is quintessential to your relationship that and and also the outcome of what the concert will be. And I've been very fortunate to be in great, you know, great environments where the chemistry is fantastic with other orchestras. And then I've been in the other side um, where it just, it's not about who's bad or who's good or whatever. It's just a chemistry thing. And it's really unexplainable. Um, but the psychology behind that for me is, is fascinating. But what, however, I mean, saying all that, when, when an orchestra, when it goes well, yeah. you know, when, it, when, when the relationship goes well, you, you really hold on to that. You don't you don't let that go because that's where the magic really happens, as I like to speak about. That's where the sort of magic of music making this this idea, which for me, which is so quintessential to what my work is, this concept of collaboration 
is so important. But you de- that doesn't work until you have that chemistry, unless we have that chemistry, in my opinion. So, um, you know, that's, that was number one. That was something that was really special that the musicians and I shared. Um, and a great program that I had just in March of this year. Uh, and that was my first time ever meeting them. Um, and, you know, when it, when it feels good, it feels good. And you just go with your gut. Um, you know, secondly, of course, what's, what was amazing, like I said earlier, is that we, we were shown, my wife and I were shown Baltimore in a very short amount of time. And, you know, while I, I don't know everything about Baltimore, and I surely, I sure have a lot to learn. I, what I felt in my gut was this really is a place of opportunity and, and, and systemic cultural change. Yeah. Um, people in Baltimore are hungry, I think, for this sort of change. And it's exciting to see after the appointment, the sort of drive and energy behind what the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra can be for the community of Baltimore. Yeah. And for me, that's thrilling, you know, to be able to make systemic change through an art organization like the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra is what it's all about. You know, I, I enjoy the whole, you know, being able to travel the world, but, but the meaning of classical music and what it, its effects on a community, that's what's interesting to me. So that's another reason why I took the job. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And um, yeah, I think it's important because often what this this podcast came out of is is this idea that it's only these these negative bullet points that, that people have about Baltimore. And there's mm. so much more here. And, you know, mm. one of the reasons why I've started this podcast and one of the reasons I feel very fortunate to have you join it for this interview is highlighting this rich arts culture that we have here that's been here for a while and that's in this period of shift and kind of documenting it as it is versus maybe what it will become because that could change very much and kind of documenting mm-hmm. it as the years go by. And, mm-hmm. you know, oftentimes we don't, we don't get really that acknowledgement for it, but having someone of your caliber come here and it's like, yeah, I could be anywhere. I could be literally anywhere. And it's like, BSO, I'm here. What, what are we doing? Let's get it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, it, when it feels right, it feels right. And, you know, I got that from the jump. I remember just the the whole environment and the grit, you know, that the that the city has as well. Of course, they've been through difficult times, but in a way, that sort of resilience and um and and determination it sparks change and sparks, you know, um, inspirational um a cultural shifts. And I think to be a part of something like that at the sort of beginnings of it is, is exciting, really. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I got two more real questions. And then, mm. you know, even the great Jonathan Hayward is not avoiding the rapid fire questions. Everyone gets them. It's a rule here. <laughs> it's like, like it's like you go to a restaurant, you can't leave without getting like your check. It's, it's a version yeah. of that. <laughs> I like that. I like it. I like it. So conductors, tend to have a more like stuffy reputation. Um, and I, I think of like the Bugs Bunny with the tails and all of that. Um, but I've read that your charisma and you, you being a person who's very comfortable in their own skin is something that sets you aside. That's a very endearing quality. What What's something about being a conductor that most people might not know, but you think that they should know? Well, you know, as a conductor, my biggest job really is to be a storyteller. Yeah. 
it's that's basically what I'm doing with with these musicians and collaborating with these musicians. Um, I see my role very much as a storyteller, as a collaborator. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if you read, I, I once said in a German um, news article that coming to a classical music concert is better than watching any Netflix series. And I'm, I'm, I'm like dead set on that because I, I, but there's so many things that you get that one gets um, from be, sitting in an amazing concert hall, feeling the visceral, you know, vibe and energies of a hundred musicians at such a talented level, like the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra in such a great hall, like the Meyerhoff. Um, that, that, that beats anything to me. I mean, and I, and I dare, like, I want to challenge that. And the biggest thing, and I'm happy you brought this up for me it's challenging that stigma that everyone has this yeah. bugs bunny idea which look i get it like i totally get it you know i've got family members who only just saw me like last week new york in new york when i was giving my lincoln center debut and they're all family from harlem and i i love them dearly they, they support me greatly because yeah. the first had this sort of courage i guess to come out and just see what it was all about and they were floored by the experience. Yeah. They were completely, and these people, I mean, these are my, these are my family, but they're not classical musicians in kind at all. You know, never, never stepped foot near Lincoln Center. Um, so my, I think my, my thing about classical music and orchestras is that what I will work so hard at when I'm in Baltimore is breaking down the stereotypes of what classical music is by trying to remain as relative to the community as I possibly can. The ways that I plan on doing that is bringing in special guests that really connect with Baltimore. Um, stay tuned. I can't really give away anything, but there's going to be, we have some very, very exciting guests and in mind already. Um, and, you know, being able to bring those guests in who actually may not even be in the classical music field, but understand and appreciate classical music and can help bridge that gap of actually what classical music can be um, is something I'm really, I, it's it's my mission. Um, and it goes beyond Baltimore. I mean, if, if Baltimore can set that example and that precedent, that's exciting. Yeah. Because, you know, then again, that comes back to the stigma of what Baltimore is known for. Um, and I think culturally we have a huge um, opportunity for that. And I, it's something that I, I find so important. You know, this art form is for everyone and it can it really can be for everyone. And it just takes getting that comfort of breaking that wall and you know I, there's a lot like i said there's a lot, lot of ideas that i have with guests talking to the audience or we have performances to, so that they understand what these pieces of these works are about why i decided to put these pieces together all these things breaking the walls of and the concept of what and the stigma of what we think classical music is thank you thank you that is yeah. uh I'm I'm looking forward. I'm 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 invigorated. I'm ex excited. So let's let's Good. go. Let's go. That's how I like it. That's how I like it. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's as if you've done an interview before. You've kind of answered like my last question already. So, bravo to you. And I, I guess it's now time to kind of dive into these uh, rapid fire questions. Um, and this is this has been great. Um, so I want to start off with this. And these are these are all over the place. Some unrelated to work, but some related to you. So. Yeah. I'm going to throw out a softball for you. 
Um, what's a pronounced trait of a great com- of a great conductor? Like, what what is that that trait that most great conductors have? For me, what a great conductor has the biggest, the best trait is collaboration. Mm-hmm. A sense of strong collaboration is the only way to go. Um, now I, I may have been cheating earlier. Favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is so hard. Uh, oh man! Or you can you can uh, opt it out for what was the most recent movie you've watched because that's that's the thing oh, that's usually right there. I I also just never have time to watch movies anymore, which is so embarrassing. Um, you know, I have to say one one of my favorite movies. Let me just stand up to my head. If I'm doing rapid fire, is I always can put on Rush Hour and be very very happy. I don't know <laughs> nice. why. I love Rush Hour so much. That's, that's good. That's good. Um, what would be the name of your autobiography? Um, coffee and Scotch. The love of music. I mean, that's kind of mine as well. I feel like, you know, we, we're going to have to hang out after this. We, we got to talk. You know, I got, I got a bottle of like some Japanese whiskey floating around. It's not quite Scotch, hey, but it's in now. there. Uh, oh, that's my that's my second favorite. That's my second favorite. <laughs> Little Satori love. Um <laughs> Now, because because the accent is there, and, and I knew it was there, so I'm going to ask you this: uh, What would be a good spy name for you? Spy code name? <laughs> I don't even know. I, I my my wife would laugh at me even thinking about giving me a, me being a spy at all. Um, we call him the conductor. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. I was about to say maybe the maestro, but even that oh. word just drives me crazy. God. <laughs> 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 okay, that's great. That's great. <laughs> hey, here, here's the last one. This is one I, I literally just added because I like to um, edit as the conversation is going on and come up with observations, you know, and it's like, sure. so uh, it, what is your favorite Disney character? Oh, gosh. Because uh, everyone has one. My, well, it's funny. I just never grew up with Disney, but oh. so, but my wife, I know, but my wife did. And so she always insults me again um, whenever I, whenever I amass something about Disney. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't know. God, this is awful, isn't it? Like, I don't know. I know everyone's like, you didn't have a childhood if you didn't grow up with Disney, but I'm sorry I didn't grow up with Disney. Sorry. I was crushing <laughs> it musically. That's, that's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause, uh, well, I was, so, I was such a geek. That's a problem. So into my head um i don't know uh, we, I mean, we all were. out of curiosity <laughs> uh oof uh see i've never had it flipped on me it's probably um it's probably the genie from aladdin oh that is a good one yeah that's a good one i mean big Robin, I mean, Robin williams just, guy yeah yeah okay i'll i'll piggyback on that then yeah that's fair yeah that's fair i feel like you're cheating a little bit but that's fair <laughs> You know, you see how I did that. <laughs> I appreciate it. We, we have the same autobiography. It's great. Um, so that's that's pretty much it um, for, for yeah. today. Um, so one, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. It's been a treat. And um, and, and two, I want to invite and encourage you to tell the fine folks um, anything, the listeners, anything that you really want to share in the last moments here, um, social media, website, all of that good stuff. The floor is yours. Well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me. To everyone who lives in Baltimore, I just want to make sure that you know that the Meyerhoff 
and the Baltimore Symphony Orchestra are yours. They belong to you, and we are here to serve the community and to help our community. Um, our doors are always open, and we welcome anyone who thinks that they want to give classical music a try, um, because I, particularly if I'm conducting, I challenge you all to uh, to come and not have a good time and enjoy yourselves and and be fulfilled and and with with this gorgeous music and this fantastic, I mean, truly state of the art orchestra that we have in this incredible city. So thank you. Thank you. Um, so there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank uh, Jonathan Hayward for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying there's there's classical music. There's just international, just great conductors here. You just got to look for them.